Thank you, Scott. Thank you, praise team. And thank you again, everybody, for being here this morning. I believe that we're going to experience God's blessing today. Uh, we, I think we already have. We're gathered here. Why not? As we uh, enter Psalm chapter 1, I do believe God's going to bless us. Now, I've used that word blessed twice now. Imagine you're standing in line at the grocery store or Walmart, and this happens. Okay, how many of you are like me, like petrified of sneezing in public right now? Anybody? Like, that's the last thing I want to do. Everybody look at you. All right, so when somebody sneezes, what usually do we say to each other? The full, state, the full statement. God bless you. There you go. That's important to add there. God bless you. Now, isn't it interesting that we don't say that to people when they cough or when they blow their nose or when they burp? Um, only when we sneeze. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? Okay, the answer is in how the saying originated. The phrase, God bless you, goes back to Pope Gregory the Great around A.D. 590, who said this during the bubonic plague of the 6th century. Uh, the thought was that a sneeze comes before this illness, and you are wishing that God will intervene and stop this illness. And it's lasted ever since. And now as a human race living today, uh, we pray for God's blessing to keep us from illness, maybe more than we ever have in our own lifetime right now. Uh, but let me ask you, is avoiding sickness all there is to God's blessing? No, it is not. Not even close. The Bible speaks of having a blessed life. And that is what our text today, Psalm chapter 1, is all about. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, if you didn't already, with Scott reading it, uh, to Psalm chapter 1. And if you did not bring a Bible today, we're not passing those out either, like the offering we're not going to pass out right now, but there are extra Bibles uh, in, at the connections table if you want to go out and grab one. Uh, the verses will be on the screen as well. So Psalm chapter 1, and we are going to launch today, I believe, a life of blessing from God this very moment together right now with our time together. And this message I've titled... Follow God to happiness. Follow God to happiness. Sean did a great job launching our new series last week. The series is titled Seasons of Renewal, Walking with God in the Psalms. And he started where we should start, with the fear of God. Because Psalms and Proverbs both identify the fear of the Lord as the beginning, the beginning of all knowledge, the beginning of all wisdom. See, if we begin our lives with the fear of the Lord. If we fear the Lord, then guess what? If we truly fear the Lord, we don't have anything else to fear. We won't fear anything else. We also won't stray from the Lord. We won't be an enemy of, of God. We won't be foolish. We won't ruin our lives. So that's where we started last week. It was great to begin in our, in our uh, series in the Psalms. And I'm so happy that we're going to dwell in the Psalms together for the next two months because here's what happens when you dwell in the Psalms. I believe that we are often connected with God at a deeper level than usual. And the afflicted are comforted. We begin to see God more deeply for who he is and revere him. 
And the soul is renewed through walking with God in the Psalms. And that's why our series title is Seasons of Renewal. And that's in two directions I want to focus on over the next two months. There is a season that the human race is in right now. It's a season where God has caused us to stop. Stop the rat race. We've been forced to slow down. We've been forced to look death into the face. And we have. We've been given the opportunity to identify what is important in life and to suffer some and to find healing and comfort that only God provides. So by God's grace, this can be a season of renewal for our entire church, for the whole human race if, if we turn to God, every single person in it. And that's the second season that I want to focus on over the next two months is your own individual, unique, personal season. And each one of us is in one right now. And they're all over the map. But I want to say, God will meet you through the Psalms in your unique season, whatever it is. Every season that you could possibly be in in your life right now, the Psalms address it. It's pretty great. So I'm going to begin each week over the next seven weeks with this little feature called About the Psalms. Because it is poetry, it's ancient poetry, it's ancient Hebrew poetry, uh, songs, these are what the Psalms are, and we are not any of those things. We are contemporary 21st century Westerners who think differently. The Psalms are amazing, but it helps to learn about the Psalms, how to really understand and grasp them and connect with, with them the way God wants us to. So this week, I'm gonna, so I'm going to do a little bit each week, and this week I want to start off with some unique features about the book of Psalms. These are cool features. Uh, of, about psalms, and you don't need to try to write all these down. There's too many of them. Just list, listen to this. The book of psalms. Okay, first of all, it is the largest book of the Bible. 150 literary units, 150 psalms. It's the largest book of the Bible. It spans the longest time frame. It was written over 900 to 1,000 years. It contains the longest chapter in the Bible. What's the longest chapter in the Bible? Psalm 119. Some people know that. It's kind of a neat thing to know. It contains the shortest chapter of the Bible. What's that one? Psalm 117. That's right. It contains the central verse of the Bible. It's also the easiest to find because you just open your Bible to the middle, and there you are in Psalms. The central verse of the Bible. Psalm 118.8 is the center of the 31,173 verses in Scripture. And of course, you're asking, well, what does it say? So it's a good one. Psalm 118.8 says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Pretty cool, huh? Psalms has the most authors. Uh, David did not write all of the Psalms, uh, but he wrote 73 of them, just under half. Asaph wrote 12, Korah 11, Solomon wrote 2, Moses wrote 1, Ethan and Haman also wrote 1, and 50 of them are unknown authors. One-third of the Psalms, we don't know the author. A couple more. The most prophecies about the Messiah, Jesus, in all of the Old Testament come from Psalms, more than any other book, including the prophets. And finally, the most quotes of the Old Testament in the New Testament come from the book of Psalms. 112 of the 360 quotes in the New Testament of the Old Testament come from Psalms. 23 of the 27 New Testament books 
quote at least one psalm. Psalms is the most interwoven book in all of Scripture. This is a rich, rich book, and we're entering it today. So about a little bit about Psalm 1. This is where we're beginning today. And next week, we're going to be in Psalm 2. And there's a reason for that to start, not just because, you know, this happens to be the first two psalms. They're not there by mistake. We're devoting the first two of the next seven sermons on Psalm 1 and 2 because they are there on purpose at the beginning. This is great. Psalm 1, our text today, is in a sense the gateway into the rest of the book of Psalms. And more than that, it's the gateway into all of the Bible. That's, that's our text today. And more than that, it's the gateway into all there is to know about God and our whole human existence in God, our whole life, every decision we make, every part of our lives. This text is the gateway into all of it. It's about God's blessings, a blessed life. Not just when we sneeze, but all of life, all of life. We want to be happy, and Psalm 1 gets us there. The Psalm of David, this song, this poem, is divided into two parts, and we're going to look at those two today. That's how the sermon is divided today, his natural division in this poem. The first thing that David draws out right from the outset is how to follow God to happiness. This is where all of life begins. This is what we want more than anything, as we'll see. And this is where David begins. How to follow God to happiness. Okay, in the first three verses, verses 1 to 3, he expresses three very important things. And they're going to build on themselves. Okay, so number one, the first thing he says, how to follow God to happiness, is what not to do. What not to do. Let's look at verse 1. Blessed. And I have happy in parentheses. I'll get back to that in just a moment. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So the first way to happiness is what not to do. Okay, and he gives three verbs here, and, we're, and we'll look at those. But let's go back and start with just that first word, blessed. The Hebrew word is asher. And it means happy. Ask anybody with a baby boy whose name is Asher. Does anybody know any, anybody named Asher? Ask, their parent, ask his parents, what does his name mean? And they'll tell you. It means happy. My son's name means happy. This is this word. Uh, most English translations, just in the last hundred years or so, have started to use this word blessed. And I think that's deceiving. Because the word means happy. And this is important. There are a couple translations that still use happy. Young's literal translation is the most literal translation of Hebrew into the English language, and it reads here, Oh, the happiness of that one who does this. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, Happy are those. So this is still in use today. But what does the Bible tell us about happiness? And I want to tell you, this is not a trivial question. This is the very essence of what God has for our lives. This is enormously God-centered and an important question. What does the Bible tell us about happiness? Now, we can talk about the difference between a good kind of happiness and a bad kind of happiness. 
And there is a difference. But let's focus on this theological truth right here, okay? That is that at the core of humanity, at the core of inside of us, all the way down to our hearts, what we want more than anything else is to be happy. Okay? Hear this. All humans, even Christians, want more than anything else to be happy. I'll prove it to you. Why is it that you sometimes lie? None of us is perfect here. We lie sometimes. Let me ask you to honestly look inside of yourself and say, the last time I lied, the next time I lie. Why is it that I sometimes lie? I believe that lying is wrong, right? So why do I do it? Why is it sometimes that you break your promises? Well, you don't respect somebody that breaks their promises, so why do you do it? Why do you sometimes break your own standards in life, your own principles by which you live? Why do you break those sometimes? Here's why. Because the natural human heart is to say, well, I believe that honesty is good, and I believe in purity, and I believe in these good principles that guide my life, but sometimes I just make an exception to them. Why? Okay, well, logically, that means that there is another principle. There's another standard in your life that is more important than all the rest. And that is, I have to be happy. This is in the heart of all of us. You might say, oh, I believe in telling the truth. I believe in telling the truth. But if telling the truth is going to get me in trouble, kids, what do you do usually? What are you tempted to do? Tell a lie. Because if I get in trouble, I'm not going to be happy anymore. So even though I believe in telling the truth, I'm going to choose to lie this time. I'm choosing my happiness. Now, as parents, loving parents, teachers, guides, we tell you that is not accurate, and that's not going to make you happy. This is what God is telling us here. How about adults? Oh, I believe in telling the truth, but if I tell the truth in this case, I'm going to lose my job. And if I lose my job, then I won't be happy. So I think I'll lie. See this? This is a greater standard of our life. I have to be happy. Everything else, that's the top priority. Everything else that we value is in second or third place. Then Jesus comes and says in Matthew 6.33, I have a better way for you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, where he just sets us straight in so many areas. Here's one right here. What did he say is our top priority, our priority in life? Him, his righteousness, his kingdom, and all these other things will be added to you, including your happiness. This is God leading us to happiness. So listen. This is the way life works. If you make your desire for a happy marriage your number one priority, guess what? You'll never have that happy marriage. It won't last. It can't, it's not sustainable if that's your number one priority. If your number one priority is to be liked by everyone, I just want everybody to like me. 
or to have a successful career. Those things won't happen because the anxiety of holding on to them will crush you, will crush your happiness. But God comes and says, if you seek to know and love God more than anything, if you seek to follow God above everything else, if you tell him, okay, we've, we sung about being humble. This is, I'm going to give up everything else. I'm, I owe you everything. You owe me nothing. I want more of you. The more you follow him and the less you're concerned about your own happiness, the happier you get. This is how God works. And this is what our souls truly long for. And this is what the rest of Psalm 1 proclaims. Now, happy is the one who does the following. And this is what the rest of the 150 Psalms proclaim. And it's the, what, what the rest of the Bible proclaims. is this very thing. Follow God and you'll find what you're looking for. And you'll find it in abundance. So let's look on in the rest of the text. And see what God says is the way to happiness. We have kicked off our psalm series and the rest of our lives now, and all we've done is cover the first word of the verse. Pretty cool, huh? I will not spend that much time on every rest of the word in the, in the chapter. We'll be here all day. It would be kind of fun, maybe someday. <laughs> Special inv invitation. All right, but today, let's, let's go ahead and look at the rest of chapter, I mean, verse 1. What comes here in verse 1 is what not to do. Happy is the person who, and now off we go, three verbs, what not to do, walk, stand, sit. Happy is the, is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the, of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. One of the biggest distinctive traits of Hebrew poetry is parallelism. So you see a lot of repetition in, in Psalms, and that's for a beautiful effect. When we repeat a thought, it reinforces the points that it's trying to make. It reinforces the emotions that we're having as we read the Psalms. It reinforces the life lessons that God wants us to learn. And so we see this repetition, this parallelism. We have these three verbs, walk, stand, sit. Together, those three verbs cover every part of life. Okay, so we're walking, we're standing, we're sitting, not what are we not supposed to do if we want to be happy? We should not, here's, here's what he's saying in verse 1. We should not let the wicked, wicked people be primary influences in our lives. Okay, you might want to write that down. We should not let wicked people be primary influences in our lives. And now it's time to search your life. First of all, what does wicked refer to? It refers to unbelievers, people who do not follow God. It does not mean that they are as wicked as they can be. You got that? In fact, most of them are very nice. They're very nice. And it does not mean that all advice that unbelievers give to you is, is awful. They can be very helpful on how to give advice, how to do our jobs, how to fix our cars, how to install software on a computer, how to invest in a 401k, on and on and on. This refers to who we get our moral and ethical guidance from. Who shapes our values? Who defines our worldview? We must get this from godly people. There's all the difference in the world. Listen, if your primary influences in your life 
there's all the difference in the world between your primary influences being people who tell us to seek God, to know God, to love God. I'll walk with you in life with an open Bible to see how the Bible speaks to everything that you're facing, every part of life. I want to help you follow God. It's all the difference in the world between having that kind of a primary influence in your life and having another kind, the kind that says something like, really, happiness is found nowhere else but inside of you. Or all religions are the same. There are many paths to God. God may not even be real, and if he is real, he's not relevant to your career. Or students, he's not relevant to math, science, literature, history. There's all the difference in the world between these two primary influences in your life. And God says, first, make sure you're not surrounded by the wrong kind of primary influence. This is the first way to happiness, what not to do. Now, parents, I want to have a special word to parents, grandparents. This is a saying that's meant a lot to me and that we all need to understand. This is God's position. That is that parents are the first and best disciplers of our own children. God has given us the primary role to raise our children in God. We're given the, the role, the command, the responsibility, the privilege to do what Ephesians 6.4 is, to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We need to be the primary influence in our kids' lives and a godly influence as well. Giving that role over to this church, to Sean, to schools, to teachers, giving that role over to anybody else is abdicating the role, the primary role that he's given us. So I just want to to express the importance of this in our parenting, in our grandparenting. And we're a church family, so in your hearts towards the kids that are part of our church family, we raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's what we do because this is going to lead them to the happiness that they want and don't know how to find yet. So I wanted to say a word to homeschoolers. Keeping your kids under your care is not automatic. Okay, you must do the hard work of discipling them. Christian schoolers. And Christian school has meant a lot to this, to this church over the years. Just look at the campus. But I want to tell you, giving your kids to a, to a Christian worldview education is not automatic. You must do the work to disciple them. Public schoolers. Your kids are in a various mix of counsel and influences all over the map. You must do the work of discipling them. And we're all in this together. And this is for the purpose of their lives, their happiness, their godliness, their eternal life. So prayerfully consider this passage, verse 1, and lead your children to the happiness that they're looking for and don't know how to find without you. Not sitting in the way or standing or walking in the ways of the wicked. That's what not to do. Now what's next? What is there to do? And that's what verse two, 2 tells us, is what to do. First happy is the man who does not do 
those things allow wicked primary influences in your life. So what do we do? Remember, God always tells us what not to do, but he always tells us what to do instead. So here's what he does right here again, too. Instead, see that word? Instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. This is a relationship with God. So here's what we do. We delight in the Lord. We delight in the Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Here's a classic story about Harry Truman, former president. Uh, I'm going to read this. Fun story. Former president Harry Truman was famous for the long walks he took. Those were simpler days when a president could take a walk like everyone else. One evening, Truman decided to stroll to Memorial Bridge on the Potomac River. While there... He grew curious about the mechanism that raised the middle span of the bridge. Making his way across the catwalks and through the inner workings of the bridge, he suddenly came upon the bridge controller eating his supper out of a tin bucket. The man showed no surprise when he looked up and saw the most powerful man in the world. He just swallowed his food, wiped his mouth, smiled, and said, You know, Mr. President, I was just thinking of you. And Harry Truman said that was a greeting that he never forgot. If the Lord Jesus showed up at your workplace tomorrow, could you say, you know, Lord, I was just thinking about you. Or at your school, you know, Lord, could you say, you know, I was just thinking about you. Or in your home when you're alone, if he showed up, could you say, you know, Lord, I was just thinking about you. Every temptation in this world, and there are many, every distraction in the world, and there are many, so many, we carry them in our pockets, all of those temptations and distractions want to clutter our minds and get our attention, and they all promise happiness. But the Bible says that the only way to happiness is to delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. So there's a relationship implied here between you and God. You want to know God. You want to talk to him. You want to be with him. And the mechanism that he's given us, the primary way that he speaks to us is through his completed revelation, the word of God that we have access to. Are we using it? Day and night. Pastor John MacArthur tells a story of when he was in college. Learning for the first time to really love the Lord and walk with the Lord and learn about the Lord through his word. He tells this story that he read the book of 1 John. Now, if you know 1 John, it's five chapters, and it's an amazing five chapters, all about truth and God's love. It's a deep five chapters. So he read it once, he said, and he realized that there was so much more in there. So he decided at that moment he was going to read it for 30 days in a row. Five chapters of 1 John, 30 days in a row. And so he did. And at the end of that 30 days, he said he realized that he was just scratching the surface of the depths that were in there. So he wanted to continue. So he decided to read it for another 30 days. And he did. He read it for another 30 days in a row. And at the end of 60 days, you know what he says he realized? He said he realized he was only just a little bit 
deeper than the surface of what the Holy Spirit was trying to teach him through the book of 1 John. So you know what he did? He read it for another 30 days. He committed to reading 1 John every day for the next 30 days. And after 90 days, he said he was finally getting to the heartbeat of what the Holy Spirit had for him in 1 John. Every day for 90 days. And I've, Sarah and I have done that with 30 days. We haven't done the 60 or 90 days yet, but we have done 30 days reading the same text. What a great mechanism. What a great idea. I encourage you to try it. But the key is to meditate on God's word and with God day and night. This is what leads us to happiness, as we're going to keep un un uncovering here as we go. But the key is to have unhurried time with God every day, every day, be with God at some time where you're not hurried, not distracted, and then meditate on him the rest of the day, all throughout the day. That's the relationship that he wants, and that leads us to happiness. So to be happy again, God has told us what not to do, and he's told us what to do. And now in verse 3, he tells us, if we follow him, what we gain, what we become, what we get. Verse 3, what we gain. The happy man, in verse 3, he is like a tree. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. I love this metaphor, the tree. What a great metaphor. Let's, let's just examine this a little more closely. If I am following God, desiring God, worshiping God, delighting in God, then I am like a tree. What, what characterizes this tree? Look at the verse here a little bit deep, more deeply. I am like a tree planted. We have been planted by God. We've been planted by someone else. In this case, it's by God. We've been planted by streams of water. Notice the plural there, streams of water. When there's a tree planted by multiple water sources, that means there's continual nourishment, continual water supply. God has planted us in this kind of a stream to make us this kind of tree that yields fruit in its season. My life is fruitful. I am happy. Yet, let's even examine the tree a little further. Okay? A tree is not always in season, right? It's not always bearing fruit. There are dry seasons. Have you ever been in a dry season spiritually in life? Have you? Of course we have. Now listen to this. What is different about this tree is not that it's always bearing fruit and happy all the time. What is different about this tree is despite being in a tough season, despite being spiritually dry, or let's just use it in human terms, sad, mourning, lonely, scared, broken, Hurt, betrayed, tired, these are the seasons of life that God meets us in because this tree is planted by streams of water. Its roots are constantly connected. So even when the heat comes, even when the externals that attack come, 
Even when the drought comes, no matter what the circumstances, we can live through the seasons connected to God, and God will give you renewal from them and happiness in them. And you know, there are Christians in this church, in every church, who haven't gotten this yet. I would love if everybody did today. And I remember the time that I started making sense of this. When a terrible tragedy happens to you, there are people who will say something like this. Just smile and praise God. Don't let it get you down. Really? Is that, does God's word agree with that? That's actually unbiblical. Don't let it get you down. Just keep wearing a happy face. To face tragedies and painful seasons in life with your own resolve and your own efforts is entirely unbiblical. That's not God's peace. That's not life in God. And the book of Psalms is here to reach us in all of our seasons of life. And it's here to teach us this very thing. That when a tree is going through the heat and the dry seasons, it has to put, a a real tree, it has to put its roots down even further into the ground to draw from its nourishing source. And anyone who has been there and received this kind of happiness from God knows this, that you're closer to God, and when you dig deep into God, you don't really know the depths of happiness in the Lord until you're going through a time of suffering and feel that from God. That's only from God. There is something about the drought and the pain and the loss in the fruitless seasons of our life. And there's something about a global pandemic that makes us put our roots down in God and Christ like we never did before. He's got our attention. Where are you going to turn? He says, this way is the way to happiness. In me alone, he says. Happy is the man Happy is this man. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and all he does, he prospers. Psalm 1, one of the most life-changing texts in all of scripture. I pray that we follow it today. But as I said, the poem consists of two stanzas, two parts. The first part answered the question, how to follow God to happiness? The second part answers why. Why to follow God to happiness. And David gets right to it. Again, with parallelism, as Hebrew poetry works, first the negative answer and then the positive answer. Why follow God to happiness? First is the negative because the unrighteous are doomed. This is the seriousness of of God, of our situation as humans. Look at verses 4 and 5. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind easily drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor cedars in the congregation of the righteous. So blessing and happiness, they're not the only truth in play here in this text or in this world. God's righteous judgment is also here. And this is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is such good news. Because even though we're all sinners and so can't be in the presence of a holy God and we're automatically far from him, cut off from him, standing under his righteous 
condemnation in our sin that we've deserved, Jesus comes in and provides the good news that we can inherit forgiveness and eternal life and a brand new life and live it abundantly, happiness, because of Jesus paid the price for our sins. And you know what? People know this. If you're not a believer in Jesus yet, you know this deep in your soul. Every soul longs to know its creator. Everybody knows this. And that's why we're not ready to give our lives to someone else yet. We want to maintain that control, that autonomy. And so we run from God and we get angry at God and God's people. And we stay so busy and so busy sinning that we don't feel that conviction anymore. I want to encourage you to stop running. And follow God to happiness, the happiness that your soul longs for. He's calling to you right now. So here's what the text says. It's through Jesus. The verse uh, 4 says wicked. This is the same word in verse 1. And who is this? Again, it's not the people that are as wicked as they could possibly be. It's simply anybody who's not guided by any kind of relationship with God. Their lives are heading towards an unfilling disaster. Sin never keeps its promises. You got that? Sin never keeps its promises, never fulfills you like it promises to. So these people just stand in total contrast to the happy ones in Christ. So how does God picture them here? They're like chaff in the wind, another beautiful metaphor, metaphorical word picture here. Here's, this is what wheat farming looks like. You have a wheat farm. The farmers throw the wheat up in the air, and the good wheat falls down. That's what you keep. And the chaff is what blows away in the wind. In this picture here that David uses, the farmer here is God. And he keeps his people, and he separates those who reject him. God's judgment is fierce. It's full, it's righteous, it's just, it's what we deserve without Christ. It is complete and it is eternal. Those who reject Christ will not stand in God's judgment. This is terrible news, it's terrifying news. And it is why, friends, you should follow God, believe in Jesus to the happiness that he offers that's so, so great and fulfilling. This begins by calling on the name of, the Jesus, of Jesus to be saved from the wickedness that defines you. It's not that you're the most evil person in the world, but it's that you're cut off from God in your sins, condemned. God's calling out to you through this. And now David's parallel thought here in verse 6, his positive reason why to follow God to happiness. It's because the Lord knows his own. So maybe you've been coming to this church for a long time, and by appearances, you are a believer. God knows his own. He knows if you've truly given him your life, repented of your sin, trusted Jesus for salvation, or if you haven't. He knows his own. Verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He knows those who have trusted him and who are truly following him. Of course he knows us. 
We are written in his book of life. Of course he knows us. He's made us his sons and daughters in his family. Of course he knows who is in his family. Of course he knows who he's put into his church, the bride of Christ, his hands and feet out in the world, the people he's given his light to, to bring light out into the world, that he's commissioned to give, to bring the gospel of Jesus into the world. He knows us. And he knows if you're not in his family. And he gives us this clear warning, the way of the wicked will perish. So I have two next steps as I close today to take seriously. The first one is to take this warning seriously. The way of the wicked will perish. Unbelievers will be judged by God, and this is eternal perishing. So wake up, Christ followers. Rejoice. Follow God. Receive the happiness. Share that with everyone we know. This is God's urgent message, and it's Beautiful. The only way to avoid his righteous condemnation is to trust him because Jesus has paid your debt. He has paid it for you and offers it as a free gift to all who believe in him and call on him. These are the steps to follow God to happiness. Number two, take the the steps to follow God to happiness. And, And I tell you, this shouldn't be a hard sell, right? We want to be happy. We've already established that. Well, here it is. God gave us the directions to get there today. So here's some ideas. Will you start a daily Bible reading plan? I mean, this, it's not that every day is going to be magical. Woo, yay, that was great. No, it's, this is a relationship with God, digging your roots deep with him. It starts with the primary way that he has revealed himself to us and communicates to us. This is what the Holy Spirit works through and touches your heart, your life, changes you reaches you in the seasons where you are. Start a daily Bible reading plan. Make sure that everybody in your house has an open Bible every day. Every day. It's really not that hard. Once you get through that first barrier, I'm not used to this. Once you break through that, we sit around the table and read a chapter of Luke every day. Or We've done lots of books. I shoot for five minutes a day, and most days, yeah, that's, all, that's all there is. But some days, it goes for 30 minutes. Because there's conversation. I mean, it's just, it's just great. Be in the Word of God every day. There's accountability. There's reading plans. Lots of things you can do. Get that into place. You know, spiritual disciplines only stay disciplined for so long, and then they become a delight. That's the first thing. Second is to replace any wicked primary influences with godly ones. For some, that means a media fast or to change your best friends. Um, talk, to, talk to the church or a godly mentor about what that might look like in your life. It's different for, for every one of us. Next is to attend the baptism class next week. If you have truly trusted Jesus or want to today, he said, great, welcome to the family. Now the next step is to get baptized. It's a public demonstration that you've followed me, that you're identifying with God, and that you've entered my family, the church. So there's a baptism class next Sunday. We'll talk about those things. It's really fun. Sean and I are going to co-teach it. And uh, that'll be next Sunday at 9.30, even if you just want more information about what that is. Next Sunday, 9.30 in the conference room. Finally, fill out the communication card for any other response. We, 
I really would love to see everybody pull this out right now from your bulletin and a pen and, um, and drop it in one of the boxes on the exit, out of the, any of the exit doors just with something that has spoken to you today or a way that we can pray for you this week. Would everybody just do that today and really every Sunday? Uh, we want to stay in contact with you, pray for you, and find out what are you going to do? What do you need in life? What season are you in right now? Share that with us. And the elders in the prayer team will all be praying for you and follow up with you. And finally, come back next week. Come back for every week of the Psalms series. It's going to be, man, I just love the, the seven Psalms that God led us to do. And uh, Psalm 2 is next week's psalm. It begins with the words, why do the nations rage? Is our nation raging right now? Yes, it is. This is a relevant time for that message. Come back next Sunday for that, and we will continue to grow as God's people all the way to happiness. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word and the way your Holy Spirit works through it. As anyone here can attest who has been open to receiving your blessing from the word, from the Holy Spirit, from fellowship with your people. Lord, I pray that as we close this service, that you will grant that in full, that we'll sing this closing song with rejoicing hearts, with anticipation about what's coming next in our lives. How can you use us, bless us, grow us, bring us to happiness, no matter what the circumstances in our lives are. We long for that and look forward to your answer. We pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.